Good morning, Grace Fellowship. My name is Dan. I'm one of the leaders here. And I will be opening up Exodus chapter 4, starting in verse 18. So you can just turn to that. And I'll give you a moment to get there. I don't let my children help me work because it helps me. I let my children help me because I love them. That's a paraphrase from a story that a friend of mine told me about his then four-year-old son. They were gardening and uh, one day, and, and my friend was having his son help by scooping dirt into a little plastic bucket with a little plastic shovel. Uh, as you can imagine, some of the dirt was accidentally making it into the bucket. And uh, my friend's work, as a result, was taking a lot longer than if he would have done it himself. But the trade-off is that he was investing in a son that he loved very much. How much of that story stays with me now that I have a daughter who is about four and scoops dirt in buckets, kind of. God doesn't let his children partake in the work because it helps him. He does it because he loves his children. Or another way of saying it is, he doesn't let his children partake in the work because it helps him. He does it because it helps them. That's another way of saying it. We've met such a child, as it were, in the form of Moses, though he's about 80. He's God's appointed mediator, and he was called to be part of God's plan to save Israel in last week's text. And didn't he look like a four-year-old? Dragging his heels the whole way. But in this week's text, he gets sent back to Egypt to start the job with his little plastic shovel. I mean staff. But he's going to get to work. And we're going to see all throughout Moses' work in the book of Exodus, but especially here in chapter 4, that he, God's mediator, is fully dependent on God. If you've got to get one thing today, get that. God's mediator is fully dependent on God. Moses' daddy, in other words, is letting him help with the work and just guiding him every step of the way. You'll see it in your outline that, that God's really a, a part of every little scenario. There's four of them today. There's four little short scenes, and we'll see God's hand in each one. Point one, God makes his mediator's path straight. Point two, God makes his mediator's mission clear. Point three, God's mediator must be perfect, and what God does when he's not. And then point four, God's mediator will cause God's people to worship God. That's the end result of God's mediator working, is God gets worship, not the mediator. So you're going to see God's hand guiding each one of these scenes. And for each one, I've decided that since God is teaching Moses, I'm going to keep this simple. So what I'm going to do is after each, I read each scenario, I'm going to summarize what's happening. And then I'm going to answer three questions. Question number one, what does this scenario teach Moses about God? Question number two, how does this prepare Moses to lead? 
And question three, what is our application? You don't have to write that down because I'm just going to be saying it every time. But if you already wrote it down, great. Two bonus points for you. Let me pray for us. Dear God, help me to speak and help the church to listen. And Lord, I might add, help me to listen to my own words. Or as we read here, obviously, your own words. Lord, would they pierce us. Amen. So God makes his mediator's path straight. I'm going to read verses 18 through 20, and then we'll take a look at what's happening. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons, and he had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the staff of God in his hand. This is a seemingly boring little chunk of text, isn't it? What's in here? Let's look. Here's what's happening. Moses talks to his father-in-law Jethro and is sent in peace to Egypt. Now, for many people to have a pleasant conversation with a father-in-law, that would be evidence enough for the existence of God, wouldn't it? (laughs) But still, look close. God directs that conversation. I can't underline the importance of that enough because he gives Moses favor. Moses is managing Jethro's flocks. In other words, Moses is working for Jethro. Jethro does not have to say yes, but he does. I'd like to say that God directs that conversation and gives Moses favor. Beyond that, then as Moses is preparing to leave, God tells him what we, the readers, knew two chapters ago. Pharaoh, and even more, any of his associates that would have had it out for Moses, are all dead. In other words, here's what's happened. The path just got made very straight. And God does that. So what does this teach Moses about God? Well, God makes his mediator's path straight. Yes, the answer to that question is the title of point one. In other words, God told Moses this grand plan, and Moses was very afraid. He didn't want to do it. God said, go do it. Take your staff. And Moses says, okay. So he reluctantly obeys God, and I think God is just kind of nudging him here. Moses takes a step of faith, and God shows him a clear path. That's how it works so often in the Bible, is that God says, you take the first little step of faith, and then I'll show you that the path was actually clear all along. Pharaoh had died probably years before. So how does this prepare Moses to lead? Well, I'd like to think he's learning to trust and follow God here. In other words, he's the four-year-old, and this is the first little scoop of dirt that goes in the bucket. God is making Moses take his first little baby steps of trusting God for a path that is very clear. And guess what? One day, how do we see this pay off? 
One day Moses is going to be doing so much more than this. He's going to be parting seas where there is no path. You think about that? Red Sea, there's no path, there's water. And one day Moses is going to have his faith so set in the Lord that there's no path. And Moses is like, yeah, there is. God's going to make one. All in total dependence on his Father God. So what's our application? When God calls you to obey him, you don't have to wait until it feels perfectly safe. Or everything is exactly how you'd like it. You don't even have to worry about getting all the dirt in the bucket. Just get the shovel moving. There's a Christian missionary named C.T. Studd. It's a great name. And he pioneered foreign missions by reaching a tribe of people who were known to eat trespassers. Eat trespassers. Who wants to go? Anybody feel kind of unsafe going there? Yeah, but you know what? Lots of those people end up getting to know Jesus. Here's a quote from Mr. Studd. He says, Let us not glide through this world and then slip quietly into heaven without having blown the trumpet long and loud for our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Let us see to it that the devil will hold a thanksgiving service in hell when he gets news of our departure from the field of battle. How do you how do you do that? I mean, I'm reading the guy's biography one day and I get to this and I and I'm thinking, is this fiction? Seriously, like I'm reading this and I'm getting stressed out reading about it. Not doing it, taking in the information. This guy goes into a land where people eat people. And that's what he says. Here's how I think C.T. Studd does this. He ran onto the field of battle, not because the battle is safe. In fact, and I bet you'll agree with me, I doubt he was even thinking about safety. I think he was so preoccupied with how good God was and how worth sharing God was that he didn't have time to think about safety. In short, C.T. Studd, when he writes stuff like that, he seems almost fictional. He seems immortal. But I think that's only because he was completely dependent on God who is immortal. Does that make sense? So that application, don't wait until everything seems perfect to follow God, whether it means adoption, whether it means going into the mission field, whether it means dropping it, like changing your major to something else. I think it starts with a paradigm shift. The bigger God is, the smaller the danger or even the threat of danger will seem. Point two. God makes his mediator's mission clear. I'm going to read verses 21 through 23. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you will say to Pharaoh, 
Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he might serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Moses is sounding like C.T. Stud there, huh? So here's what's happening. Moses, as he was more broadly given it in last week's text, gets a script for the mission. And right here, he gets it in very nice detail. Okay, Moses, do these miracles. Okay, now when you do them, Pharaoh's going to say this. He's not going to believe you, but it's cool. I'm making him reject me. I'm doing that. But you push him anyway. And you tell him to let my people go. And if he doesn't, you tell him that I will kill his firstborn son. So right here, Moses gets tons of information to do the job exactly right. What does this teach Moses about God? God makes his mediator's mission clear. See, I did it again with the titles. I mean, this is amazingly clear, right? Actually, not really. It's kind of clear. And here's the thing. I've got to challenge you for a minute. It seems clear to you and me because we have the whole Bible. We have Exodus. We know how it ends. Moses didn't have that. He hadn't even written it yet. He hadn't even written the, written the Pentateuch. First five books. To him, it's still visions and dreams. We know how the story ends. So it seems clear to us because we have the whole Bible. But when I say clear, when I say Moses' mission was clear, I don't mean all-encompassing. I don't mean easy. God says, here's some things that's going to happen when you talk to Pharaoh. Here's, here's some things that God doesn't say to Moses, though. Because Moses' donkey could totally break a leg on the way there, Right? That could happen. What about Moses' family members? you think one of them might get sick and die? God didn't say anything about that. Here's the point. God is with him and the plan is going through, period. So the big picture is taken care of, but the little details, God leaves those out. So what's our application? Well, like Moses, trust that God has made your mission clear enough. Clear enough. Please write the word enough. Because <laughs> at times it's probably not going to seem very clear. I mean that. I mean, how many of you would like a script like Moses has, right? Don't you wish? Okay, you're going to go ask this girl out <laughs> and she's going to say this. Like that would be enough for, for most of the single guys here. How many of us would, would love to get a script like Moses has? What if I told you that your mission is actually clearer than his? That sound kind of crazy to you? Your Bible has it. Anybody know the mission? What's our mission? Come on. I have it written down in case you don't come up with it. There we go, Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations. That's clear, right? Might your car blow a tire? Sure, God doesn't say anything about tires. 
Might one of your family members get sick or die? Could happen. Now, some of you might argue, but God told Moses where to go. He said, go to Pharaoh. You know, God, what nation should we reach? Pick one. How about Japan? Right, Mission Same? You guys like Japan? Just pick one. You have freedom. You know what we do when God says, go and make disciples of all nations, and, and we're like, I don't know. We are, we are literally like, like when two people are going on a date, and the one's like, where do you want to eat? And the other one's like, I don't know. And then they argue about it for two hours. <laughs> Just go somewhere. <laughs> and here's a bonus. Here's a bonus. We actually get more than what Moses got in terms of information. You know, anybody who wishes God would, would comfort them every step of the way, kind of walk beside him like he comforts Moses. Don't forget the end of Matthew 28. You know, the part where Jesus says, and I will be with you to the end of the age. Our mission really is clear. and We depend on God for that. And we get the Holy Spirit walking with us. And here's something we get that Moses didn't have. Moses had no Bible. We know how the story ends. And here's the thing. We have dozens of case studies in the Bible about how to do the job right. And we have hundreds of case studies on how to do the job wrong, don't we? We got plenty of information, friends. How's our faith? How's our dependence? That's what I'm getting at here. That's where we're going. Next point. God's mediator must be perfect. Let me read verses 24 and 25. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. What's happening? Man, I don't know. <laughs> How did, we were doing so well. <laughs> it was so clear. This is like a deleted scene in a movie, isn't it? Why is this even in here? It's going to take a couple minutes. Hey, you don't say. But actually, as I'm reading through this and as I got help from the preaching team and, and as the Lord opened my heart, you know what's funny? This, these little two verses, this is better than any self-help book you're ever going to read. These two little verses. It's not, it's not just that these two verses should be in here. These are great. Let's dig in. Here's the short of it. God required His people back in Genesis through Abraham to circumcise their children. If you guys are familiar with Genesis, you should, you should know that. If not, I just told you. Guess who didn't do that when he was in Midian? Moses. It was a requirement. And back in Genesis, chapter 17, verse 14, or the promise to Abraham, God said this, Any uncircumcised male... 
who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So so the one who's cut off is the son and not the father. Because if you look at the text here, it actually seems kind of clear that it says the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. And people automatically think, oh, Moses is going to get killed. There's actually two reasons why I think it's is Moses' son that's on the uh, on death row, as it were, here. Number one was Genesis 17:14. The one who's supposed to be cut off is the son, not the father, when the uncircumcision happens. Here's the second reason. This happens right after the Lord explains to Moses that God is going to kill Pharaoh's firstborn son. I don't think it's an accident that this scenario happens immediately after that. In other words, I think it's purposeful that this is in here, and not just in here, in here right at this point. Right, here's the thing. Whether Moses or, I think, his son, somebody is going to die because of this failed ritual. But... Moses' wife, Zipporah, who I can only say must have been divinely inspired to obey, performs the circumcision and she says to Moses, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. Now we're not going to get into the translation or the possible meaning behind that because it's hotly debated, but the summary is this. Here, a blood ritual protects Moses and his family from God's wrath. Does that sound like the Passover to you? Yeah, it's training ground here. What does this teach Moses about God? A lot, really, but I'm going to keep it brief. God's mediator must be perfect. He has to perfectly obey the law. God wants his people to obey all the way, and the mediator must teach them to do it. And Moses has completely missed the bucket here. No dirt has gotten in. Failed attempt at perfection. But guess what? God provides a mediator for the mediator. Moses' wife bails him out. I think this is God uh, carefully helping Moses to be prepared to help his people obey the Passover. When blood would be shed to spare them all from death. As well, I think another thing this teaches Moses about God is that God's now here seen as more than just simply a guide. He's teaching Moses about his law. So what's our application? I don't know. Do you think anybody can make a vague connection to Christ here? A blood ritual sacrifice protects Moses and his family from God's wrath? Yeah, I'd say there's a pretty good connection there. That's your application. Remember that your mediator had to be perfect. Look, here's the thing. Jesus was like Moses and his wife and his son rolled together into one perfect person. 
Here's what I mean. He was God's mediator like Moses. Yet, he interceded perfectly for the failings of mankind like Zipporah. And beyond that, he paid the price. A much higher price, I might add, than Moses' son paid. He paid the price of his life. God's intervention through Jesus is your ransom. He had to be perfect. So that's your application. Remember that. Remember that. There'll be more time in small groups to chat about that. Next point. God's mediator will call God's people to worship, to worship God. Verses 26 through 31. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord, which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered all the elders of the people. Aaron spoke all the words the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of all the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. It's a big finish. Here's what's happening. We get some amazing stuff, and I'll just list out a few of them. First, Moses meets Aaron on Mount Horeb. If you remember, this was the place where Moses first met God in the burning bush. And this is also where Moses is going to one day lead God's people after they get out of Egypt. It's amazing. God guides him in that way. Second, Moses meets Aaron as God said, and Moses tells Aaron everything. All the words God said, all the signs God told Moses to perform. So we're seeing Moses go from fearful excuse maker to, he actually seems pretty competent here. This is cool. Third, Moses and Aaron gather everyone together and they say the words and perform the signs and the people are comforted and they worship the Lord. Remember last week when we looked at Moses and he was flat out telling God to pick somebody else? And I said, ladies and gentlemen, that's God's mediator. Ladies and gentlemen, this is God's mediator. Great words are spoken through Aaron and great signs are done through Aaron by Moses. But the end goal is this. Here's what's happened. It's not that Moses does something awesome. Here's the end goal. Here's the summary of what happens. The people reconnect with their father God in worship. People worship God because of Moses getting some dirt in a bucket. What does this teach Moses about God? Well, we're going four for four with the section titles here. Moses' mission is that God's people would worship God. God's mediator, guided by God, is helping God's people worship God. Let's do OIA on that sentence. What did I say four times? God. God's mediator, guided by God, is helping God's people worship God. 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 Who's doing the work? God. 
It takes God's intervention for God's people to worship him. It all points to God. God's mediator is fully reliant on God. He needs him for a straight path. He needs him for a clear mission. And he needs to be perfect, which Moses can't do alone. And all of this causes God's people to worship God. It's all about God. I think that's what Moses is learning about God. It's all about God, not Moses. And I think that's why Moses does such a great job. So what's our application? Worship God by depending on him. Worship God by depending on him. I mean, we just sing, every hour I need thee. Do we mean that? Like, seriously, like, I, I can't tell you how many times I come into church, I get my coffee, I'm running late, okay, kids get in the car and all that, okay, get, get the shoes on, and we get all get in and we sit down, and then I start singing, and halfway through I'm like, wait, what? I just sit, do, do, do I believe that? Every hour or just some hours? Some hours or every hour. No, but when I realize how God does everything, even causes me to worship Him, even causes me to obey Him, that's when I think the Lord really opens my mind as to what dependence is really all about. I depend on Him for everything. This scene right here in Exodus 4, with all the people bowing their heads and worshiping, This is a taste of what's to come. On the cross, and when Jesus comes back later, God's people are so dependent, they need Him for deliverance, and they worship God, and they're fully dependent on the promise of deliverance He has given them. And like Moses, you don't persevere, you don't obey, even by your own merit. And let me pause and just thank you guys so much for praying, for praying this morning, for praying last week, for praying for the the pastors. And I'm going to add the worship leaders and I'm going to add the people running the sound and I'm going to add the nursery people and the guys and the gals getting the coffee in the back and anybody else I missed. We need God. We need you to pray for us. We need you to pray for us. We can't even do it right without God's help. And we can't even repent from getting it wrong without God's help. Christians, we don't depend on our merit to grow us. We depend on God to grow us. We grow by learning to depend on God more and more. We take these little baby steps of faith. That's how it looks most times. It's not this amazing day where you get up. It's just this baby step. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to do this little thing, even though the path seems seems crooked, even though uh, things seem unclear, even though it seems like I don't have enough information, I'm going to depend on the Lord and just step out in faith. So every day, just aim for the bucket. That's how you depend on God. Just aim for the bucket. You don't get dirt in the bucket, try again. Try again. Your father has you. It's okay. He has you. 
Friends, we worship God, the rescuer, and we, res- and we worship Jesus, who's our great mediator. Even our ability to worship God is, is, is really thanks to God. God made his mediator's path straight. God made his mediator's mission clear. God's mediator had to be perfect, and though Moses was not, Jesus was. That's our hope. And God's true mediator, Jesus, caused God's people to worship God. And I'll even add the future and present tense as I close. God's mediator causes us to worship God. And God's mediator, Jesus, will cause us to worship God forever. Let's pray. God, we so often have no idea what we mean when we say that we depend on you. We depend on you perhaps quickly when we fail. But Lord, we confess, even then, sometimes we don't even quickly confess. We don't even depend on you when we get it wrong. We turn to thing after thing to comfort us, to make us feel better. We try to sleep it off and just start a new day. We trust in the rising of the sun to make our hearts right. Lord, would you help us to depend on you every hour? I'm talking about 3 o'clock in the morning when it's pitch black and the kids won't stop crying. Lord, help us to depend on you then. Help us to depend on you when we get it wrong and when we get it right. All times, Lord. Amen.